Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Today, I have the great pleasure to introduce to you one of my beloved friends and brilliant mind and caring soul, uh, Tess Matteo. She is not only a longtime advisor to the United Nations on gender and climate, but also founder and director of CX Catalyst and also an impact investor and a successful entrepreneur. Tess, it's a great pleasure to have you here. Welcome to our program. Thank you, Mariana, for having me. Very excited to do this with you. You can't be as excited as I am because ever since I've known you, we met, I don't know, 2011, I think it was in Istanbul of all places in Turkey during a global summit of women. And uh, we've done amazing things together and we're just, you know, uh, soul sisters, I would say. So in that we're totally aligned uh, because we agree on the existential role women and girls play in ensuring the future of life on our planet. And it's just as simple as that, it's existential. And um, in order to implement the UN SDGs within planetary boundaries, um, of which there are nine, and three or four are already out of the, planet, the operating system that is safe for the planet, uh, we need women. And uh, we can't do it without women. This is what science tells us. And uh, we know that is true, but now we have uh, all the abundance of the scientific research and, uh, and economic power that can help us implement that. And Mao Zedong, Chairman Mao said already that women hold half the sky. But when you look at, at um, the way women are treated, globally, we are disempowered. And in order to contribute, make our contribution to implementing the UN SDGs within planetary boundaries, we need economic empowerment of women. And this is actually what you set out to do. Uh, you set out to accelerate the transformation and started the very ambitious goal of uh, equality moonshot. And you invited me to be part of it. I'm a humble contributor, but Tell us what exactly is that exponential uh, impact of the equality moonshot? Well, actually, the, I mean, it's really interesting. Actually, the, it was Thomas Piketty's book of, I think it was Future of Capitalism. Um, and there was a lot of data that started coming out of the importance uh, or the highlighting of the inequities that was showing up because all of a sudden we had the data. Before that book or before that time, I think it's around 2018, there wasn't enough data to actually uh, that was captured so that you could actually see these, these the impact of policies and the resulting inequities. And um, one of the things that was highlighted, not in the book, but in subsequent reports was the fact that less than, um, I think it was around 11% of the list of the, uh, the billionaires list were female. And a great portion of those women were actually inherited wealth. And I, it dawned on me that we, we had been fighting so much of having 30% of management, 30% on boards that women need to have that representation to have a voice. But unless uh, we actually own the assets the world, and control some of the world's resources, we actually won't have that, that um, 
equality or that balance of who owns uh, property. So the Equality Moonshine is just simply saying that at least 30% of the money that's going to be spent to either achieve the SDGs or right now to recover from the pandemic. So these are the recovery funds should be going to uh, a representative group of who of the of the earth citizens and that includes uh, the women. And so that's that the equality moonshot is just simply saying at least 30% of the investments and the wealth created as we move forward from the pandemic or as we pursue these SDGs should go uh, to benefit women. And, and I think it's a, you know, it's interesting that we met in Istanbul. That was uh, also during the meeting of the um, least developed countries, the first time that was held um, in, in uh, in that part of the world. And what's super interesting is we both come from my backgrounds in re corporate restructuring work, your backgrounds in technologies, and we came from very male dominated industries. And we both have been able to power up and find our own our way to succeed in those industries. And then the revelation and coming together, sitting on a panel, talking at this global summit of women, we just had this aha moment, wait, we can work together to move forward. And, and it was wonderful to work with you and when we went to uh, the Rio Plus 20 meetings to then start making the commitment of women in specifically in these growth industries about the green economy, because we both saw that in order to um, be sustainable by 2050, we needed to actually move towards a, a greener economy. And, and you basically gave up your extraordinarily successful career as a management consultant to embark on this mission to empower women and, um, and also accelerate the green economic growth through women empowerment uh, 10 years ago. So why did you do that? And, and how, the second part of the question, because you mentioned uh, the, uh, global, the, the Global Summit of Women and also the uh, Rio Plus 20 Earth Summit, what do you see the role of governments play and how do you see that applying or implementing uh, the equality moonshot? Uh, I was fortunate enough that when I was uh, at the global CEO's office of PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, 2008, I actually, uh, on behalf of my CEO, uh, worked and co-chaired the World Business Council for Sustainable Development's Vision 2050. And in that groundbreaking work where we had 400 companies contribute um, from 14 industry sectors across 23 countries. It was the first time we had a collective view of, of how do we all, how can we all collaborate to actually address sustainability. And interestingly, there were 40 must-haves by 2020. And so when I, I don't know if I would say I gave up my um, consulting or restructuring uh, to pursue something, I, I was, again, I was pursuing a market opportunity because the 40 must-haves by 2020 meant that all 400 companies were committed to pursuing those opportunities. Um, and so I, I chose to go after women's economic empowerment because I thought I could make an impact there, uh, clean water, clean energy, sustainable food, and health. And in that, in that realm, it wasn't just the private sector and those companies doing it, it was also the government. So um, I was fortunate enough to be part of the World Bank's private sector leaders forum. And in that case, they, they've created a lot of um, um, research data and policy recommendations to 
highlight specifically what it would take to uh, to engage more women into the into these economies. Um, McKinsey did a great study uh, parody. Um, was it 2015 that actually specified what all those policy recommendations are in. And I was fortunate enough to be invited to be part of the US delegation to the G20, uh, which is gonna be in Rome in October. And looking at um, what is the post pandemic economy? What should it be, what should it be, uh, how should it be structured going forward? Because clearly what it was before isn't gonna work. And that's where I think there's significant opportunity where both the governments and the private sector want to work together as they did uh, in, in addressing the pandemic to go forward. So what particular or specific values do women bring to the table that would otherwise not be available? And one thing is we're clearly moving from a shareholder valued economy to a stakeholder valued economy. And how do women contribute in terms of to, to that transition that is obviously badly, badly needed with respect to the values that they bring, which are would otherwise not be addressed? Um, well, you've always heard the comment about the global financial crisis. If there had been women at the at the table, it would not have been as high risk. So women are less, um, are more risk averse, and they actually are, um, do things with much longer term uh, timeframes in, in the way they feel. But I also think what's different that women can do is that the diversity of thought, when there's diversity, there's always greater ideas, greater um, value driven, um, but women, there's, there's this huge, we are now entering into the golden age of transparency. Uh, Tim Ryan at PricewaterhouseCoopers, who I greatly admire, is really just championing this. Um, and it, he's championing the fact that diversity and inclusion is, is what's going to set organizations as well as governments apart in the future. It's going to be a competitive edge. So what women bring to the table is that we're the carers, we're, we're the caregivers of both families, communities, and the planet. I mean, sustainability was coined uh, by a woman. We, it came from it's a bottom-up movement, and it was Gro uh, Brentland when she was um, gave this report, who gave the first, you know, comments that you know we have to collaborate on the world's resources and, and manage it accordingly. So I think it's um, it's exciting because the you know when I want to highlight some of the women who are doing really who were at the forefront of this. Uh, you have um, Emily Kirsch who created the first incubator on solar out, and she's out of, um, it's called Powerhouse in Oakland, uh, California. Then you also have Jamie Nike who created the first Women in Green Forum. So finding all of these hubs in which uh, to, to share ideas. Wandy Kay, who's, I can't pronounce her last name, but she's the CEO and founder of, um, SPCG in Thailand. She's the um, largest solar operator in ASEAN countries. Uh, she brought solar to Thailand as, and that's now spreading it across um, Asia. So there's these wonderful opportunities that before people weren't thinking about even rent the runway, right? So uh, the whole fact that fashion doesn't have to be disposable, but we should actually think about the uh, circular economy. And so that uh, was, was a, a female idea. But women are willing to make these investments for the long term. And, and as mothers, uh, we can, we shape what our families eat, we shape what our families do, and we share what our families um, think about. Right. 
the next question is how can we leverage the capital that is out there in order to move it toward the your goal of the equality moonshot particularly since as as per research uh, mckinsey and others we are currently experiencing the largest handover of inheritance of capital from being inherited from parents to and grandparents to their children than ever in in human history so how do we how do you see that women participate in this transfer of of wealth and why should that happen the second question is what is the mind shift that needs to occur in order for that transfer to, to happen so coming out of the pandemic the most important thing to governments right now is to make sure job creation we need to really really have an engine for job creation because that's what was that was the biggest destruction in the in the past year and that is going to come from the small medium businesses because they employ you know 60 70 percent or create some 67 percent of all the new jobs so with this with the governments now looking at how can we make this more equitable in this growth that's going to be coming there's going to be you know, and that's part of what we're looking into the G20 recommendations to the finance ministers. How about public procurement towards these, um, these groups like the women entrepreneurs, women-owned businesses? Because, um, so there's that shift that's gonna be the spend. You have all of the companies and multinational companies who committed to source and empower women. You've got UPS who's created an, an entire program on, um, female exporters, you have uh, Coca-Cola who they committed 5 million women by 2020, five by 20, they actually hit 6 million. So there's a lot of interest in, in commitments because people are now recognizing with the data that they need to, to put more money into women-owned businesses. And so that capital is slowly happening, but once it becomes kind of coming out of these new big forums that, hey, we, have, we, we now have to make a collaborative commitment, just as there were commitments from governments and companies to come up with a vaccine for COVID. The same thing, I think there's a lot of energy that this could be you know, leveraging um, Bob Zelik when he was the World, Bank Pri World Bank's president, investing in women's is smart economics. So I think there's a lot more awareness and I think there's a lot more commitment. I think uh, the UN Global Compact's uh, corporate members, you know, their entire focus this past, uh, was two weeks ago, was um, target gender equality. So I think there is a big, much more than ever before, commitment to source from women-owned businesses. You mentioned that one of the biggest issues that we have right now, we know that is the lack of, of jobs and the jobs that have been lost through COVID-19. How does that impact the idea that women should be allowed to come more for, forward, to, should be financially sustained um, more? Uh, how does that relate in this competitive job landscape? Well, let's, so there were more, um, at least in several countries, there were more startups or new registrations of new businesses made by women um, in the past. And a lot of that was just the struggle of, of being at home with their children or having these, these um, so, so you saw 
um, there's great innovation around um, food waste. And a lot of the women started those businesses about dealing with food waste. How do you, and I think it's because they're at the forefront and seeing all of it within their communities. So, um, you know, when you ask, you know, is there a collective view of what industries women will dominate? It would be under um, right now, what I've seen a lot of the startups data saying it's within education and within caregiving. It's this whole concept of, of the care economy. And women have more knowledge about that because we're at the forefront. Now, business formation and scaling, women-owned businesses have not scaled like they have in the past. But I think that's where the corporates are now committing to helping those, those entrepreneurs scale their businesses. And I think that's what's different is that now you have corporates finding where within the value chain, um, as well as the business cycle, they can contribute to support this, this, this segment. Science tells it very clearly that uh, women have uh, one of the biggest roles when it comes to reducing the carbon, carbon footprint on the planet, if we want to survive. It's just as simple as that. Yeah. It says that educated women uh, with 12 school years would have one child compared to one without that same education uh, that would uh, have on average 4.5 children. How do you think that will, do, do you think that the programs are, that in, are in place and you, know, you just mentioned T20 and others, take that into consideration to accelerate the education of women and the role of, of STEM education in women. What is your feeling with respect to the global activities and government, uh, governmental initiatives? So, as you know, in 2015, the Agenda 2030 uh, and the 17 develop, sustainable development goals were set and governments, all 160 or 93 of them, made a commitment. And within those 163, three targets to those commitments include um, the education of women, uh, of girls. Um, they don't include a STEM component. That's something that the private sector and others like including us are promoting just because that way you have more women moving into the more higher value um, education. But those commitments, um, I think the, the governments are making sure that the uh, girls are getting educated because of exactly what you said. Now, what's also interesting is, is one of the, uh, you know, for to reduce carbon emissions, one of the biggest recommendations is also around agriculture. 40, more than 40% of the smallholder farmers are female. And so getting them um, the training to tend to their crops and teaching them how to farm uh, better and more environment with, with best practices, that also adds, adds to it. So, so you have a couple few, you have several different layers of educating women and girls for the, for the future. You've got them at the smallholder farmer levels. You have them girls, which as they get more educated, then you, you are dealing with population control at, and also their ability to contribute to the economies. And then at the very high level is how do you get women into these high growth, high margin sectors, which is, which is what the STEM pushes because that's where the opportunities are. The last question before the last. <laughs> what are taboo zones that are currently, that we're currently not discussing and you would like to add until your wish list when going to the G20? 
Oh, I mean, right now, I think the, the my big focus is the procurement side, because I think the procurement will have the biggest lever because it, it will just trickle down through their supply chains. So um, as much as there's so many other things it, that you'd want to introduce, you know, with the transformation is feasible report from the Club of Rome and their climate emergency funds, we really have to zero in on what's what's important for the next 10 years to get to that sustainable path, which is all around renewable energy, the transition to renewable energy, the transition to sustainable food chains, and then and then the um, the um, inequality. inequality. Yeah, inequality related to education, health and gender. So uh, I, I haven't put other things on my plate other than that, because I think there is going to be a huge, uh, big spend um, in changing the energy grids, because I think there's a, there's a lot of passion, both with the EU's Green Deal, the United States, you know, Biden's very much committed to the, to the climate, um, climate change, and I think I'm, I'm very excited for that. All the power to you, dear friend. <laughs> so how can people get in touch with you? So uh, to support you, uh, inform you, help you, give money sure. to you. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to give money to me, but you can email me at tmateo at CX Catalyst um, and happy to include your voice or include you in all the efforts that I'm doing globally as, you know, and of course they should contact you because we're all working together. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your being here. All the power to you. Good luck to you, my dear friend. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more on Dr. Bosazan and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com.